0: What is up, everybody? Matt Perino here from NYU, Up in Syracuse.com, and I am coming to you uh, with a bunch of gentlemen tonight that I'm very excited uh, to be sharing the screen with. We are on YouTube. I'm going to try to bring that up on my phone so I can take all of your questions. We're using a little bit of a new software. Usually I go live on here solo, but I thought, hey, we can get together here. Uh, everybody's quarantining in their house, and why not have a little fun? Um, as you're looking at your screen, screen top right there, that's John Scott from Spectrum Sports. Uh, He covers the Bills, uh, does a great job over on one of the local TV stations. Uh, Bottom left, Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio, my favorite jingle in the game. I'm sorry, I love it. Every time (laughs) we do something together, I got to do it. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. And then my man, my tag team partner, bottom right, Ryan Talbot, Bills. Uh, Drop your questions here. Anything that you guys want to talk about, I want to make this your show. We'll be here for the next 45 minutes to an hour And I really wanted to uh, get a chance to talk to these fellas. Me and Ryan have been talking quite a bit over the last couple weeks. But I haven't talked to Sal or John yet about a lot of different moves and a a lot of different ways this team is going to look, the Buffalo Bills in 2020. And we're going to start off with free agency. And, you know, a lot of moves on the defensive side of the ball. The one big move on offense, obviously, Stephon Diggs brought in to be a wide receiver one via trade. And we'll start off with uh, John up on the top right, what do you think? You know, looking at all the new pieces, you know, on this on this team going into
1: twenty twenty, who do you think can be the biggest impact player out of the group? Well, Stefan Diggs is obviously going to be number one on most people's lists. I, th- I think what he'll bring is not only his own abilities, but now you're bumping other guys down. John Brown is no longer looked at, and defenses aren't reacting to him as a number one wide receiver. He now slots into a number two, which I think is always what he has been best suited. Cole Beasley now is your number two or number three option in the slot, and it just opens everything up. But I'm going to go a little off the cuff and say Mario Addison is going to be the biggest impact for the Bills. I thought edge rusher above anything else, even before the Diggs trade, was the most important thing for the Bills to add because the pass rush was inconsistent. You saw spurts of it. And even as good as Jerry Hughes was at getting pressures, he and a lot of the other guys were not getting to and taking down the quarterback. So Addison has been about as consistent as you can get for a name most people probably hadn't heard of before the Bills signed him. So I'm gonna say Mario Addison is probably gonna have the biggest impact, especially on that Bill's already very good defense.
0: Throw it to you, Sal. What do you what are, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think
2: I would agree with John to say Mario Addison will probably have the biggest impact, at least statistically. I mean, this is a guy that's had at least nine sacks in each of the past four seasons. He has 14th most sacks in the league over that time. When you think about pass rushers in the NFL, you don't automatically think about Mario Addison. But the fact is, he's been one of the better and more consistent pass rushers in the league through the last four years. Now, he is 32 going on 33, but he's a young 32. If you consider his football years, he came into the league at 24. He really didn't have a regular rotation until he was about 26. Um, Because I don't want to give the exact same thing as John. I'll go inside of him and say Quentin Jefferson, I think, is going to have a much bigger impact than people realize because he's so versatile. We know how much this regime and this coaching staff loves position flexibility, and Quentin Jefferson played inside and outside. Now, granted, mostly in a 3-4 in Seattle. The Bills don't run a 3-4, but it just shows you that he can play along the defensive line, and I think now being in a fourth year with Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott in their defense and everybody kind of knowing their roles, I think that they can come up with some more creative schemes. that I think Quentin Jefferson is going to be able to do some things that they can put him in a position to really have an impact.
3: Ryan? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with both of those choices on the defense side of the ball, but I'm going to go with Stefan Diggs. I, I think John already alluded to it. All of a sudden, now John Brown's your number two wide receiver. And Bees is going to be able to do a lot more in the slot here as well. Uh, All of a sudden, some guys who are on the bottom of the roster last year are are far from sure things to make this year's roster. And you still have the draft as well, but Diggs is going to do so much for Josh Allen and Josh Allen's game in in a really big year three. Uh, You know, I I think obviously Brendan Bean and Sean McDermott are all aboard with, with Josh Allen, but this is a crucial year for him to, to prove that he is a franchise quarterback for this team.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, you look at the secondary, and where I think position group, uh pound for pound, I would say at this point, probably the strongest on the team. You have Tradavius White coming back off of an all-pro year, one of the most dynamic, and you know, for offensive coordinators, frustrating safety combinations in Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer because of what they're able to do in terms of disguising what they're doing out there. And now you add significant competition at that second cornerback spot. And I want to ask you guys, and we'll go around the horn again and this time we can start with Sal, Ryan, John, and I'll, I'll kind of point uh, to the different boxes as we go here, but Josh Norman's impact potentially if he wins this job, uh, we, we talked to Dean Marlowe last week uh, who played with Josh Norman in Carolina in 2015. And, and he said, listen, he's, he's talked to Josh Norman. He thinks there's a lot left in the tank. And he thinks that because of the schematic fit and the familiarity, Josh Norman is going to walk in here day one, and, and have an impact and make an impact. What do you guys think about this?
2: Well, look, I, I think Josh Norman, and he kind of represents a little bit of what the entire cornerback situation is, which is a little bit of a boom or bust with some of these guys. And what I mean by that, mostly the reason it would be bust would only really be because of injury. Now with Josh Norman, maybe he doesn't have a lot left right there, but you think about who they have at corner right now opposite Tredavious White. The three main guys who are going to be competing for a job are Josh Norman, Levi Wallace, and now EJ Gaines. And each one of them, if they play to what we've seen them in their best, oh, my God, that's amazing. And you're going to have a really, really solid number two opposite Tredavious White. But each one of them also comes with a really big question mark, and that is Levi Wallace, how he tailed off last year towards the end when teams – second half of the year when teams were picking on him, so they started rotating with Kevin Johnson. Obviously, EJ Gaines, he's missed two full seasons in his NFL career, including all of last year because of injuries. And, of course, Josh Norman because of – that step back he took, getting a little bit older, getting out of the system with Sean McDermott. But I think that if all of them are playing at their potential or even close to it, I don't expect Norman to do what he did in Carolina, then I think Josh Norman would be able to take that role on and that would allow Levi Wallace and EJ Gaines to both be you know, backups as far as the outside and slot receivers are concerned.
3: Yeah, I think that the cornerback number two job may be the most intriguing position battle that we'll see this year heading into the season. Uh, and, and salary pointed out a lot of it. I think there's still a lot of question marks there for cornerback number two. Uh, Norman may have lost a step, and, and like you said about Gaines, uh, missed two full seasons, missed a good portion of the season when he was with the Browns. Two concussions in three weeks, hamstring injuries, groin injuries. Uh, when when he was on the field in that first stint with Buffalo, they played great. He was a he was a big help to Trey White. They were eight and three when he was on the field. He was a great cornerback, but he can't stay healthy, and and then. The Levi Wallace factor comes in here, too, uh, with him getting picked on late in the year. He did have a nice little rebound game against Pittsburgh. Uh, He had that early interception against the Jets before going down with an injury. Uh, But there's still a lot of question marks there, and that's why I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills did turn to the cornerback position still on day two of the draft.
1: I wholeheartedly agree with the thought of going cornerback in the draft, and if depending upon how things fall second round as much uh, as high as that could be. Uh, but I think what also the Josh Norman move shows me, uh, I know it's a Carolina connection, and that would be the easy way to go with that, but I, I think it shows that they're stacking the deck to where they can almost have a wild card in there and a backup plan for that as well. Josh Norman was the first seed for them to to really plant there to say, okay, we know what Levi Wallace can be. Let's push him a little bit as we did a year ago. And if we even get 70% of what Josh Norman was when we were together in Carolina, you're really going to have a heck of a tandem. And then let's throw in EJ Gaines. And those are two guys that wanted to come to Buffalo, which again, I think is a theme we are starting to see and become an uncomfortable thing that we're becoming comfortable with is people actually want to play for this organization and for this team. That's what I think overall it all represents And it's going to be a very similar competition as to what we saw a year ago in training camp between Gaines, Johnson, and Wallace.
0: We're starting to get some questions flowing in here, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, For those that are just jumping in, I'm Matt Perino, Uh, bottom right Ryan Talbot. We're from NYUpSyracuse.com. top right John Scott from Spectrum Sports, and of course everybody knows Sal Capaccio, bottom left. We're talking Bills and Sal, you put out a podcast today that was very interesting. I gave it a, a listen as I did my first 2 miles, like I was telling you guys before we started, uh outside. We all talked about it, we're more treadmill guys, but that's a different conversation. And you <laughs> talked to um the schedule maker in the NFL and you, know, you guys talked on a, a wide range of, of of topics, but one thing in particular that I found, you know, very interesting was the West Coast uh potential trips for all four AFC East teams this year. Um and, and some other things. Why don't you give fans a little bit of insight into what you got, what you found out uh, from him today?
2: Uh, yeah, his name is Mike North. He is the VP of Broadcasting and Scheduling for the NFL, and he is just a tremendous guy uh, to kind of get some insight into the schedule, because he's the, the head of the team that makes it, basically. He's the guy. He's the schedule maker, which is a really cool job to have in itself, but You know, I really kind of wanted to talk about the macro with him, which we started with about how the schedule is made when they start with it. They really start with it. As soon as the season ends, they know some of the matchups. They know all the matchups. I should say they start playing with different combinations and it thousands and thousands of schedules come out of the computer. And then they have to start thinking about all these different scenarios, but it truly is an in-depth type of very, like very meticulous of where they want to place certain teams, not place certain teams have different conflicts. They have to think about and all those kinds of things. So, Definitely go listen to it. South sports and stuff podcast is where you can find it. But the West coast thing with um, that, what you're referring to is I, th- I brought up, I said, you know, the bills have an interesting rotation this year, West and e-, or, I'm sorry, West coast teams in the NFC, NFC West and AFC West is who their crossovers are. And he said, yeah, it only happens like every 12 years for every team that's this year for the bills and the rest of the teams in their division. And I said, does that factor in how you schedule? He said, well, here's what's funny. Some teams, he didn't say what the bills would prefer here necessarily, He said, some teams tell us, hey, you know, if you can, we'd like to have all of our West Coast games kind of spaced out, if you will. You know, we'd rather not go out there all in September, October, whatever. Some of them say, please give us like two in a row so we can stay out there. Please put them all, you know, in a bunch so we can kind of get them out of the way. So it's really interesting how that happens, but it's all factored into the schedule. But I think for Bill's fans, the most important and cool thing that he said today was, he basically said expect the Bills to be on national TV in prime time multiple times this year. He mentioned the Kansas City game as one that they really like at the NFL offices for a big game. So I would think that if it's not a nighttime game, it's certainly going to be in a national TV window.
0: I definitely recommend everybody going and giving that a listen. Again, it's Cell uh, Sports and Stuff podcast. Search it searching on all the podcast platforms. Uh, it's a great listen. I'm going to go to the first question here, and it's a friend of all of ours. Um We've all been on his podcast, Patrick Moran. Go check out the Moran Analytics podcast as well. He does a great job. Does He asks, and he goes to running back, and I'm going to start with John here. Uh, why is everyone talking running back at 54 when Devin Singletary will be one of the top four rushers in the AFC? Um,
2: Who's I don't everyone? Know. Who's everyone? I'm not everyone. I'm not talking running back. <laughs> running back Some That's, other people are.
0: <laughs> great point. Great point. I'm right there with you, Sal. I don't think uh, running back – listen – When it comes down to it, first and foremost, everybody has to remember that the way this thing works for Brandon being in this front office, it comes down to their draft board and how they're ranking guys. If a running back is sticking out on their board at 54, you better believe they're going to take that guy if it makes sense in terms of the best player available. But I just don't think that... Fans should go into this thinking that, okay, the Bills are thinking, okay, 54, we got all these pieces in place. If we get a running back, we're one player away. They don't think that way. So I just think that everybody banking on Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins might be disappointed when the draft comes. John, what are your thoughts here?
1: Well, as you know, as I said on Twitter earlier in the week, I've been a proponent even before the combine, even before all the Bills free agent moves of If there's a solid running back, and I'm talking Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins or I guess DeAndre Swift, he's widely expected to be the first one off the board. But if those other two happen to be there, you could even maybe throw in Clyde Edwards-Alaire in there at 54. I think that a two-headed monster in the running game is still going to be something the Bills wouldn't mind doing. And I'm not saying it in the sense of I know a lot of people like A.J. Dillon and like the fourth round because he's a bruising short yardage back. I think the Bills are in the business now of just finding playmakers, dynamic home run hitting playmakers, and that's exactly what Taylor and Dobbins are. And if you look across the NFL, specifically the two teams that were in the Super Bowl this year, they had a stable of running backs that they relied on. It wasn't just Damian Williams. You saw LaShawn McCoy, and he even got pushed so far down the Chiefs' depth chart. He wasn't even active for the Super Bowl. You go over to the Chiefs, Tevin Coleman, Matt, uh, Matt Breida, I mean, and things like that. I mean, there were so many of these guys on these teams. The Ravens had a ton of running backs. You looked at the Saints when they used to have Ingram and Camara. You look at just across the league, it's not really often that you have one running back, regardless of how good that they are. So in my opinion, the Bills still, as you hear about the weather and all of this stuff as you get down towards the end of the season and the playoffs, They're still going to be at their core a team that wants and believes that you have to run the football well. And that's why if you can get a dynamic player at that position, I think you absolutely should do that. And if it's a 50-50 split or 60-40 one way or the other involving Devin Singletary, that's only a win for the Bills, not something that's bad. Sal?
2: Listen, um, I I agree with the concept right? of exactly what John said for that very reason, which is get playmakers. And I think the bills want playmakers They're to the point now where they need to fix the offense. The defense is pretty set. Now we know that there's usually a regression. This defense hasn't really shown it and they've stayed pretty healthy, but I'm pretty confident in Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, that they're going to be able to keep a really good defense going because that's just who they are and how they coach their teams. But I think that the concept, even though it's great, it doesn't wash with how I want this team to play football and how I envision them playing football now that they have Stefan Diggs. We can look back and say, since Brian Dable's been here, since they drafted Josh Allen, what their run to pass ratio is. And it's been basically about, you know, it might have been the heaviest in the league a couple of years ago. It was, I think, the sixth or seventh heaviest run heaviest in the league last year. And when people point to that and say, see, that's how they win games. I don't think that's how they're going to try and win games anymore. Otherwise, why did they trade for Stefan Diggs? Anything that takes away from giving the ball to Stefan Diggs is a bad idea. In my opinion, you (laughs) traded a first round pick for Stefan Diggs. He needs to be the guy you need to be more pass heavy this year than you have been. And by getting a, a guy with number 54, essentially you're telling me, okay, that's a premium asset. I'm going to have to give him the ball. So now where are all these footballs going around? Now you're taking away from Devin Singletary and you're taking away from Stefan Diggs. So I don't particularly like it, but I I understand the concept. I do. And John's right. You got to get playmakers. So that's fine. But to me, you're already not giving Devin Singletary a huge workload because you're throwing the ball to Stefan Diggs. And if you're not throwing the ball to Stefan Diggs and throwing the ball more, why the hell did you trade a first rounder for him?
3: Ryan, break the tie here. (laughs) Well, If there's a guy like Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins on the board at 54, the Bills are going to have to think long and hard about it. Those are two talented backs that can come in, compliment Singletary right out of the gate. Uh, Taylor, especially a home run threat, brings a little bit something different to the table. Uh, But at the same time, I'm also in the the belief that they're going to go best player available no matter what that position is, whether it's uh, a safety like Kyle Duggar or Jeremy Chin or something like that, something that maybe – fans aren't anticipating they're going to go according to their board like you said matt uh, but when it comes to the running backs i have no trouble with the bills drafting running back second round third round it's when the contract runs out and you have to re-up those running backs that's when i have a problem so drafting a running back early day two i'm all for it if it helps the team if it adds another playmaker but at the same time i just think that brendan bean is going to stay true to his board no matter what position that is
2: And and I agree with it. I will say this. I agree with that. I I think he will. And anytime someone says, what position should they draft? I don't know. Whatever position is sticking out of their board, that's who they should draft. Because here's the thing to go back to John's point the roster is good enough now where they can afford to do that. I, I don't think they have to target a certain position because there's an absolute need there. The roster is good enough that if one of those guys that you guys are mentioning is there, then go ahead. I'm not totally against it. All I'm saying is, don't take that guy and then take away carries from Devin Singletary and take balls away from Stefan Diggs because you drafted one with a premium asset. If you're going to take that guy, it better be because you have him highly ra- rated and you're just trying to add to the team.
0: You guys ever been on a road trip um, with family and, you know, maybe, maybe brothers, if you have any of your siblings, and one of you falls asleep in the back of, this, of the car and the other one starts messing around and maybe slapping you in the face or whatever. I kind of did that this week to Bill's Mafia a little bit when I brought up TJ Yeldon. Who I don't think anybody in this fan base really wants to consider as running back two, but you go back and look at his twenty eighteen or twenty eighteen numbers in Jacksonville, one hundred and fifty touches, nine hundred yards, five touchdowns. I think if you add that kind of production as running back two to this offense, that's something that's significant to think about. And I I don't think that you know. Listen, Coach McDermott talked or Sean McDermott talked about you know TJ Yeldon and the belief that they have in him in the building. John asked that question in Indianapolis, made sure to let everybody know about it uh, earlier this week. And um, his answer, you could take it whichever way you want, but I don't think you should discount the, the possibility that TJ Yeldon could factor in. And that's also why you don't have to really go uh, running back at that spot. And it looks like we lost Ryan, but we'll keep going along here. So just something to, to, to consider, think about. Uh, we had a lot of questions coming in here. Thank you so much for everybody joining us. Um, I'm going to go to my man, Sid Vicious. Uh, I, I don't think that's his real name, but uh, I, I don't actually know his real name. We talk a lot on social <laughs> media. He's a great follow. Uh, he goes, you guys are Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean. At 54, Chase Claypool's on the board, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, Duggar, Kyle Duggar, and AJ Terrell at 54. John Scott, go. Who do you take?
1: Uh, it, See, it's interesting because – I w- my top two would be Edwards, Hilaire, or Duggar. Ironically, I think the argument is the same thing if you talk about Duggar and a safety as it is a running back to some extent where, like, Taron Johnson, while he's had health issues, he is someone that has played well in the slot. Saran Neal showed flashes as the big nickel, so now you're inserting a guy at 54, a nickel as a base is once again more of a complementary piece as opposed to someone who is going to be a regular cog in your machine. I would go with Edwards Hilaire there, and and it goes in line a little bit with my running back feelings here. And I really like the way especially he plays the game in the passing game as well as runs the football. I think he would actually be a pretty good complement to Devin Singletary.
2: All right, so give yep. me the names again. Who are the names here again? Uh,
0: cornerback A.J. Terrell, uh, Kyle Duggar, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, or Chase Claypool.
2: Boy, I'm a big Claypool fan, but they did just get Stefan Diggs. Um, so I probably would not do that. Um, I would say A.J. Terrell. I, I think this team can use another corner. Um, he's also a little bit longer. You know, he's 6'1", 190. Uh, I think that that's uh, – you know, a kind of guy that they could use. So as much as like Ryan brought up earlier, hi, well, Ryan, welcome back. Ryan brought up earlier that, um, you know, he's still not totally confident in CB2. I'm not either. I think they need to add to that. We saw their depth get depleted last year. I mean, guys, they had Isaiah McKenzie playing corner in the finale because they couldn't afford to lose another corner. So I think I'd go to if that were the case.
0: Ryan, uh, did you get the question there or no?
3: I heard some of the options. I'm not sure if that would be the cornerback I would go with. Am I allowed to choose a different cornerback by any chance? Yeah,
0: throw throw a different cornerback out there. All right.
3: Well, Stephon Diggs' brother, Trayvon Diggs, would be an ideal target at number 54. Uh, A guy that I keep mocking in the third round that I think could climb into the second round is Bryce Hall out of Virginia. Uh, Another guy that fits this defense really well. Probably would have been a first-round picker in that first-round conversation had he not suffered an injury. Uh, last year that kind of took him out for most of the season. So those are two guys right there that I really like in round two. Claypool would be right up there, though, as well. Another guy that's in that round two, round three mix, just because there's so much talent at the wider receiver position, but he brings something a little bit different with that size and speed. Uh, be able to go up and get that the contested catches. I watched a lot of Claypool. Uh, didn't run as fast as that 40 time he had at the combine, but he still is a terrific athlete that was kind of hurt by uh, quarterback play at Notre Dame.
2: And if I, Can I just go back oh, to what you ahead. said about Yeldon a minute ago, Matt? I'm with yeah, you on yeah. that. I, I, I'm, I'm on the Yeldon train, as you know. We've talked about this as well. I Here's the thing, though. I, I, I think he deserves a legitimate shot, but I don't think I would just not draft another guy because I, I'm so confident right. in him, right? I, I, to I me, agree. you bring somebody in, you bring more competition, but I want him to get a legitimate shot. When he was on the field last year, he was a matchup problem, as you pointed out. So I would love to see that. There is the other issue, though, that he is – he's been in the league. This will be his sixth year in the league. He is a free agent at the end of this year. He's got one year left in his deal. And I do understand the getting guys at lower prices on rookie deals and how that might factor in as well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm not sitting here saying that you should just, you know, go TJ Yeldon and not worry about the position. I think you still need to add maybe even a a veteran running back and a a rookie. But we'll see just because they like adding competition in the room. There was one of the early questions uh, was on AJ Klein. And, you know, we haven't discussed it yet. Obviously, Lorenzo Alexander retiring and how the Bills are approaching replacing him seems to be kind of like a three-part move. I mean, they brought in Taiwan Jones, uh, Tyler Medekovich, both uh, more special teams options, and AJ Klein, who's going to probably play that third linebacker role. John, I'll start with you. What are your impressions of AJ Klein since that move was made, and how good of a fit do you anticipate him 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 being in this this room?
1: I think if Lorenzo Alexander himself taught us anything, it is to open your door and leave the door open for any possibility of what a player that you may not be as familiar with, who's more known as special teams or other ways of the game, what they potentially could do. Lorenzo has has said for years that a lot of it had to do with opportunity. And he just didn't really get an opportunity to be the player that he was when he was a Pro Bowl MVP on the defensive side of things and had that monster season. It just took him later in his career Uh, quite an interesting path playing multiple positions. Maybe the same can be said for AJ Klein. We'll have to see. I also think that outside linebacker is something that will be addressed in the draft. Plus, there's other guys that are there. I mean, Voshan Joseph, we don't know what kind of a player that he could be. Missed all of last season. He is one of those guys that is considered slightly undersized, but is incredibly athletic. And that's a guy that in the boundary, if they're in that base defense and not the nickel, could maybe fight Klein for playing time in the actual defensive rotation, and Klein once again focus more on special teams. Sal?
2: So? Uh, yeah. By the way, uh, Sid vicious vicious Sid, that's Mark in New Jersey. He calls WGR all the time. That's how I know that. Very
1: very
0: nice. He just he just okay. DM me. So yeah, oh, so okay, I will kind of never make even... that mistake again.
2: No, that's okay. He's, he calls WGR all the time, so that's great. Um, we're talking about AJ Klein. You know what's funny is you know AJ is kind of the replacement, so to speak, for Lorenzo Alexander because he's the third linebacker, but they're totally different types of players. Lorenzo, his versatility is off the ball on the ball. He can line up rushing the passer on the ball. He can line up off the ball, play your strong side linebacker. Now, he also could, in a pinch, and he actually did, I believe, play middle linebacker for one game a couple of years ago. But that's really what A.J. Klein's versatility is. A.J. Klein's versatility is not putting his hand on the ground and rushing the passer and then being off the ball. He's an off-ball linebacker, but he can play all three linebacker spots across the board. That's where his versatility comes in. So, I think A.J. Klein's going to have a, a nice little impact on this team. Plus, he can play special teams. I don't know at this point in his career how much they're going to do that, especially with some of the other special teams players they have. They hopefully don't need him to do that as much. But I think that's where his, his value is going to him in is you know you're not going to see him starting necessarily. the bills play a ton of nickel they're going to start their 11th guy is going to be a defensive back in most situations. but they they have a guy now that you don't have to use a Corey Thompson and a Julian Stanford and the other guys who are backing up and like John said, you know Bason Joseph will be there now something happens to Matt Milano something happens to Tremaine Edmonds or you just need a strong side guy. AJ Klein is the guy to fill in. he was Luke Kuechly's backup in Carolina during their really good teams and going to the Super Bowl and he's a good player.
1: They
0: have a ton of p- position flexibility. I, you know, I, I look at Voshan Joseph and some of the stuff that he did at the college level, he's very raw still. And I think that that's why they took him in the fifth round. They, they may be a guy that they can mold, but I think you can use him as a pass rusher, you know, on certain s- situations because of his athleticism and Tyrell Dotson. I was talking to Stanford, Julian Stanford in, at the red and blue game last year. And he told me that Tyrell Dotson. Is like a sponge. He can play every one of the linebacker positions. He can probably play everyone in a three-four defense too. And I think that's why they like him a lot because he's a guy that you know takes takes well the coaching. Uh, is a guy that is athletic. I think he would have been a fifth or sixth round pick. If there wasn't some uh, health concerns and maybe some character concerns as well. But the Bills stuck with him last year. So there's there's plenty of options like you guys mentioned. Um, looking across things here, I want to I want to get to some more questions. Um, Jordan Poyer. Uh, with the extension, and w- I want to bring him up. And I saw a question about this, but why I want to bring him up is because <clears throat> a lot of times when I talk about Kyle Duggar or or Jeremy Chin as potential options in the second or maybe even third round um, for the Bills, a lot of people respond to that and say, "Well, we get we just resigned Poyer. We're going to resign High. We don't need another safety." But why don't you guys talk a little bit about this? Uh, you know, especially you, Sal, who I think um, you know. Understands really the position you do too, John. But Sal, former coach, um, what can Kyle Duggar or Jeremy Chin bring to this defense in more than just a a, a prototypical safety?
2: Well, I I think here's the thing first of all, I am a huge Duggar fan, I am a huge Kyle Duggar fan. The the problem I have with him is the same, it's not a problem, I don't want to even say that. I think you have to have a plan for a guy like that, you can't (laughs) just throw him on the field and say, Oh, yeah, he's a free safety, you know, he's going to be the backup to Micah Hyde. The guy, he, I don't know if he's physical enough and big enough at the NFL level to necessarily take, you know, play in the run game. Um, you know, he's super physical now where he's playing and things like that. Is he athletic enough to do some of the things you're going to need at the NFL level? All those questions have to be answered because of the level of competition. Now, even if you say totally passes it all with flying colors, because you know, teams are going to have to evaluate that. I compared a little bit to Jabril Peppers a few years ago. John and I would talk about Jabril Peppers. I remember leading up to that draft. I was not a Jabril Peppers fan for this very reason. I felt he doesn't fit in the NFL. He doesn't have a true position. In college, he's kind of the best player on the team a lot of times and and on the field, and you can do a lot with him because of that. That's not the case with Duggar, but I do think Duggar is a special kind of player, and maybe Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier would be the perfect coaches to actually fit him in. The other question I'll say, though, is don't they kind of have a guy like that in Saran Neal in a lot of ways guys? Yeah. I'm not really sure, you know, if you want to take away from what you're building with Saran Neal.
0: Yeah, definitely comment on that, John, and also you just put out your profile of Duggar. So what are your what are your thoughts on him as well?
1: Yeah, he's he's fantastically dynamic. He had six punt returns and two blocked kicks on top of all the things that he did defensively. And again, he He has good speed, good size. The reason he ended up at a Division II school like Lenore Ryan is because the guy was 5'6", 140 as a freshman in high school, then 5'11", 170, didn't even start until his senior year of high school. So he didn't really have any looks. Lenore Ryan just happened to – have him come down, and what really drew them was his athleticism, even though he was undersized. And at the Division II level, that's what those types of schools and programs look for. His body then caught up with his physical attributes in college, and that is why we are here where we are now. Of course, there are some concerns of the level of competition, and I saw someone say, you know, why do they use the phrase concerned? And, and Sal, I think, responded to it. It's it's not a concern. It's just a reality something you have to take into account. They did the same thing with Josh Allen and saying, why didn't he dominate when he was playing at Wyoming? It's not a be-all, end-all of their evaluation, but it definitely is something that you have to be aware of. And he even said it at the Combine, Duggar did. He's like, I had to be more fine-tuned in what I was doing with my eye to make sure that I was doing things correctly and make sure myself – that I wasn't just succeeding because of the level of competition that I was playing against. I am a fan, but again, I agree with Sal. You have to have a plan for someone like that. Saran Neal may not be as talented as Kyle Duggar. So that doesn't mean that just because you have a guy like Saran Neal who can do the things that they want the big nickel to do, that it's not worth that type of selection at 54 overall. But it's something to take into account. And finally – Yeah, they re-signed Jordan Poyer, and to be honest with you, as much as I think Jordan is great, I was somewhat surprised they did that. He earned it, but I'm surprised they did that because I thought that is one spot they could get younger and cheaper at. Don't be surprised if if maybe money becomes a factor with Micah Hyde down the line. At some point, you're going to have to pick and choose who you're going to pay. I think age is eventually going to play a big part in that, and while Micah Hyde isn't old, He's going to be starting to go on the other end of his career.
2: And, and, and look, I mean, this notion that, like you said, Matt, people say, well, they have Jordan Poyer, they have Micah Hyde. Well, you need backups on teams. Guys get hurt. I mean, you have to, be able to build a team. That's the whole point of building a team. Why do we talk about getting a second running back? Why do we talk about having a backup offensive lineman? Now, those guys play a lot, but you know what? It is football, it is physical, and they can't play forever. This is how the good teams stay good. You replenish. I. I agree, John. I was surprised they actually gave Jordan Poyer the extension now, but I think they did it in a manner in which, look, they're not tied to him for super long and they rewarded him for past performance and still think he's got a couple really good years left in him. But at the same time, I like Jaquan Johnson and what he brought to the table last year. He, he played that one game late in the year had a terrific interception got called back. So you need backups at these positions. You need to replenish through the draft. You can't just rely on, oh, we got Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and they're going to be here for three years. Well, First of all, they might not play every snap because guys get hurt. And second of all, they're not going to play forever.
0: No, great stuff on, 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 on that whole situation. And I think that, you know, you also added the fact that before Jordan Poyer came to Buffalo, uh, obviously a huge injury. And even though they resigned him, you still need depth of that position. So I think that's a great point. I want to talk, switch gears here. And somebody asked a question about Daryl Johnson and our thoughts on that. And I'll start with Ryan. Who's back. Thankfully uh, some technical <laughs> difficulties, which this is a new platform. We're trying. We have never done it before. Uh, so, so hang in there with us. They asked about Daryl Johnson, but uh, another question is about Jadavian Clowney. And obviously there was a, uh, a report today that he, his asking price has gone down from 20 to 17 million, uh, and whether or not the Bills should entertain that. And obviously the Yannick and Gawkway, uh, trade rumors have been out there for months and months and months. Um, bills fans really want another edge rusher. So we could all kind of chime in on that. Uh, I'll start with Ryan, uh, Anything you want to hit here, uh, what you think of Daryl Johnson and his potential next year and some of these other options or upgrades that are potentially out there, because I will let everybody know if the Bills wanted to make a move for one of these higher priced edge rushers, you can get out of Trent Murphy's contract and save yourself $8 million. So if you're going to pay somebody 17 to 20, you're really considering only half of that because you can chop off about 8 million in Trent Murphy, Ryan.
3: Well, well, first, with with, uh, Daryl Johnson, I I just think that, uh, one, he actually played a lot more than I think some people realize, whether it's on defense and special teams. Young guy, late day three pick that really came in, I think, and impressed this uh, coaching staff. So, one, I think they really do like him. I think they like Mike Love as well. Love was having a a pretty decent uh, training camp. So there's two young guys that they currently have on their roster that I think they like. In, In terms of Clowney, I just don't see it. They have so many of their own guys that are coming up here that they have to extend, that they have to get under long-term deals sooner rather than later, that I can't see them bringing in a guy that wants that $17 million per year. Uh, And maybe from a production standpoint, you know, I know he has all the talent in the world, but maybe from the production standpoint, it's just not there as much as you would like to see for that price tag.
1: John? My only thing with Clowney would be is if he's willing to accept a one-year deal, and in turn, if the Bills think... We can go all in and make a serious run at a Super Bowl right now. If Clowney takes one year, 17 to 20 mil, they cut Murphy and it's like, all right, now we're going with Diggs and Clowney and Addison and and we draft another guy and we got these young guys and Hughes and things like that. In looking at this rookie window scale, uh that a lot of the league seems to be going on and the Bills seem to be following, following suit with that. If you can get him on a one-year deal, fine, because one of the knocks about Clowney, people seem to say, is he's really driven by money and he picks and chooses when he's going to really go full throttle effort. If he's on, once again, a one-year deal where he's going to try to hit the market and get that dollar amount that he feels he should have be getting right now, I'm for it because they could do it, but I don't want any part of a contract of someone uh, in, with him at least. Uh, I'd be more inclined to go longer-term, big money for a but I'd be willing to do a short-term, one-year deal for Clowney.
2: You know, I just don't know if Clowney fits into this team. You know, his um, I'm not saying he's a malcontent or anything like that. It just doesn't scream the type of personality that they'd like to bring in. And like John just said, if he's a guy that's motivated by money and things mm-hmm. like that, I mean, I'm sure every person is at some level, but it just seems like the Bills want guys who are motivated internally to just play football no matter what the situation and want to go out there and ball with their teammates and and win games and win championships. And and, and I don't know if that quite fits what you know he is perceived to be, at least. Uh, for me, I think he's lived a lot off of reputation a little bit, and that's why he's gotten some of these big deals. You go back, he was the number one high school player in America, number one recruit in the country going to South Carolina. He was the number one overall draft pick. His first couple of years in the league, people thought of him as a bust, though, because he was hurt a little bit. He came back and he, he started playing really well. You know, he's not also he's not a true edge rusher. He's a, he's a guy that moves around a little bit. His, his stats are OK. They're not great. So I'd much rather have Yannick Ngakwe. The problem is you can't get him now, really, given the situation you had by trading away a first round pick for Stefan Diggs. And I'm not saying you would have traded necessarily a one for Ngakwe. Obviously, you can if you wanted to now. But now your next pick, you're, you're sitting in the second round. Are you going to give that away too? I mean, you know, you just have limited resources now to go out and get Gakway. But I, I would much rather, this is a, a young player who I think is still ascending. It's going to be really good. And I just think Clowney screams that you could really regret that signing, even if it's for a one-year deal. Although that would be the preferred option if they did get him to sign at all.
0: I was reading that uh, somebody wrote a story where they were talking to an executive uh, or something. and and they really question Mario Addison, or maybe it was one of the pro football focus or something like that, you know, his production, his potential production this defense. And what I think that Mario Addison does more than anything is I think it has the potential to unlock Jerry Hughes a little bit more, and I think it's twofold. Number one, Jerry Hughes is going to be healthy, presumably, in 2020 after playing all of 2019 hurt. And when's the last time um, Jerry Hughes had a pass rusher on the other side uh, of the ilk? of a Mario Addison. It's, it's been since Mario Williams and, and those were the big sack seasons for Jerry Hughes. So I think that not only that you have two now, and really, even if you have, you roll with Trent Murphy, I was impressed with him against Houston. I, I thought he played well in the biggest moment of the year. If he could kind of do it a little more consistently uh, on a, a little bit lesser role, I think that you have something to work with there. And then you have so many pieces on the interior and we haven't even talked about it year two, Ed Oliver could be an absolute freak.
1: They
2: also paid $10 million for Mario Addison. I mean, how much more? I mean, that tells me he's going to be on the field a lot, right? You're not going to pay him $10 million to play Shaq Lawson's role. I just don't think that. Um, you know, even though they still have Trent Murphy, that's, you know, a, a point you've made, but I just don't see them spending that kind of money on another guy where where are these snaps coming from?
0: little uh we'll get to the draft in a second here. I want to get to this before we get out because it's been. This conversation has been running rampant in the in the comments section here, and we'll we'll touch on it because uh, people are want to talk about it. Christian Wade, <laughs> people's the people's <laughs> champion. Uh, now I feel bad for Christian because he's such a great story, such a great kid. I love our conversations in the locker room when we get a chance to talk to him. Um, I think that you know people watch the highlights, the two big runs last year in the preseason, and you know they're putting in a little bit of uh, you know too much pressure on the kid in year two training camp. My expectation is that he's still going to be used as that exemption piece. He's got, there's going to be 91 players he's going to get another year on the practice squad. Does anybody in here think that Christian Wade has a legitimate chance to be RB two or even
1: RB three? No, none. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a good story and use the word kid. He's not even that young. I mean, he's 30 he's plus me, John. He's young. No, I think
2: I think he'll be twenty nine this uh, next month. I
1: okay, but he's not. He's not young, and while he hasn't been playing NFL football, tackle football, it's not like rugby is something that's not a very physical sport. So yes, he's fun. It's a great story. He shows some flashes in preseason games, but by and large. He will not be – he will once again will be on the practice squad. I think he once again will be a fun little piece to talk about in the preseason. But I'm willing to bet a lot of money you will never see Christian Wade in a game that matters for the Bills.
3: You want to go, Ryan, and then I'll touch? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, I, I agree that he'll be on the practice squad to use the exemption again. It's a nice feel good story. The, the preseason runs were great but I I just don't think he's ready to take on that type of role in in the NFL.
2: I just saw a comment in the, uh, in the box from Marshall said, Wade is a special teams gunner. No, that's not happening. That's why you signed Taiwan Jones uh, and you have Saran Neal. Those are your two gunners next year. They still have Robert Foster as well. John, you're right. Ryan, you're right. Christian Wade is, he's not going to make the roster. People need to temper that enthusiasm right now. Now I will say, He'll, he'll be treated like a guy that could make the roster. And if something were to, Oh my God, just, wow, look at this. Like he shows exactly how to pick up blitzes and knows everything in and out of all the little nuances of football. That's the thing that people don't see all those little nuances of football that, you know, he's still learning because he just started playing the game last year. He is really valuable though. You know why he's valuable? And I don't mean this to sound in a funny way. You might laugh. He's kind of like Rudy where he's going to make everybody better on the (laughs) other side of the field because he's going to play his ass off at practice every single day because he appreciates the opportunity he's given. And he's that kind of kid. As you guys know, He's that kind of guy as you guys know, and he's going to go out there and he's going to do everything he can to help his teammates get better. And just so everybody knows it is the same situation as last year. The bills can bring 91 to camp. It's the international pathways program. If he makes the roster, he makes it. If he doesn't, they can sign him to the regular ten-man practice squad and then call him up like anybody else, or they can give the exemption, make him the eleventh man on the practice squad, and then he is not eligible to sign with another team, including the Bills, all season.
0: All right, let's move on. Finish up here uh, on the draft the next few minutes. And um, you know, John and I were in Indianapolis at the combine sale. You were at the Senior Bowl, so we've been spending you know a few months here, really diving into the field. Uh, Ryan does a great job of you know tracking everything. He's he definitely dialed in. He, he likes Chase Claypool a little bit more than most, but I won't blame <laughs> Notre Dame fan. But you know, in terms of the Bills, you know, seven picks right now, two in the sixth round. They don't have a first round pick anymore because that pick is Stefan Diggs. W- what are the possibilities here? I mean, what are you anticipating? Do you feel like it's going to be something where? you know, Brandon Bean is paying attention to his board on day one. And, you know, if the, if there's something that really is sticking out and somebody starts to fall, there is a the possibility that they can move back into the first round. Uh, I've seen that asked uh, in here. Uh, and we can start
1: with, with John and we'll go around the horn. Anything is possible with Brandon Bean. I think we have been very well accustomed to learning that in his short time here as the Bills general manager. I'd be curious, though, as to – who would entice him enough falling to get back into the first round? Because at 22, I would have imagined that he could have acquired that player. Of course, you wouldn't have had Stephon Diggs as well. But to get back into the first, you're probably going to have to give up next year's first as well. So it would be interesting. If, if things stand pat 54 and then into the third round, It's definitely best player available, and that's the way that they have always operated. But you can do that even more so because when you look at the Bills roster, even cornerback, even running back, there really are no holes on the roster. And there also is no place that, in my opinion, you say outside of quarterback, you can't put someone there. I mean, let's say they find a middle linebacker they think is absolutely great. Tremaine Edmonds is a first-round pick, and he is great. There is nothing that says they could not move him to the outside. I'm not saying they will, but there's just nothing is out of the realm outside of anyone that is Josh Allen. For me, again, if Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins are there, I think that's great. It also will be interesting what wide receivers fall down to them at 54 because clearly they were not enamored enough with anyone that would be there potentially at 22 to feel that was a big enough impact guy, especially immediately, to stay there. That's why they then got Stefan Diggs, and they were comfortable giving away a first. That doesn't mean that they will not address the position in the second or third round. Could the LaVisca Chennault, a guy that was linked to them when we were at the Combine, but an injury kind of slowed him down, T. Higgins' stock continues to fall. Could he fall there into the second round? And then you get into the, you know, the thir- second or third tier in the third round – That's where running back, I think, is definitely in play if you don't go there at 54. And then again, Chase Claypool, Brian Edwards, names like that at the wide receiver position, Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC. I think they're going to look offense again. But again, it'll always be best player available. But I think offense is is a good place to go to continue to inject playmakers. Sal?
2: I don't think that um, they're going to be able to get into the first round Unless, like John said, they're willing to give up their first next year, and like you said, Matt, because I just that's what it would take. They're 22 in the second round. I mean, that's a long jump. It's not like they're picking second or third. Uh, but with Brandon Bean, you just never know if there's somebody that he loves there. But if that was the case, he may probably would have stayed there because uh, he could get that guy. But maybe somebody really starts to fall down. I wouldn't rule out a move up in the second round at some point. They've done that. We know that this um, over the last few years, you know, they've moved up and around the board a lot. Uh, to get some of the guys that they have on the roster currently. So I don't see that happening. Um, I think though, when you get to 54, we all know that it's going to be best player available. That's you know what they preach and what they do. I, I think that the best spots that I would look for as far as needing depth, because it's actually really, I think it's amazing to think about. The bills are bringing back their entire starting offense from last year. And the only change will be Stefan Diggs will go in for Isaiah McKenzie, essentially. I mean, that's really the only change, but everyone comes back and on defense, pretty much everyone comes back because Ed Oliver actually played more snaps than Jordan Phillips last year. And Phillips is the only guy who really was a starter because Shaq Lawson wasn't. So you're returning essentially 20 or 21 of 22 starters. So where can you look? You look at the depth. I do think offensive line is still a possibility. Corner is still a possibility and running back and maybe even, We've seen them, how they've kind of approached the tight end spot, maybe looking for another guy to add to the mix. But I think there's a lot of guys. I like the room right now, but you never know if maybe they want to add a guy there as well.
3: Yeah, in terms of trading up the first round, I don't see that happening. Uh, as Sal said, you'd be having to give away your first round pick next year. Second round, though, that's a move up there. That's more realistic like they did for Cody Ford Mm -hmm. or like they moved up in the third round or to get back in the third round last year to get Dawson Knox. I think that's something that Brendan Bean would do. Um, Again, best player available, so it could be uh, a safety that falls. It could be a cornerback. I named a few earlier here in in the podcast, but uh, uh, Brendan Ayuk at wide receiver, if he's sitting there, it could be in play. I think he's the guy that they would like. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan, another player that could be there in that second round. You wouldn't have to necessarily move up for them. I think there's going to be a, a decent wide receiver to that will fall into their laps. But they're just going to go best player available. And if it's a weapon for the offense, I think that would really help. Uh, just because that's the, you know they, they spent a lot of resources and free agency on the defense side of the ball. They did make the big splash with Diggs. But get some more weapons in there. Uh, offensive tackle, if an Ezra Cleveland were to fall, that's a guy I could see them moving up for in the second round.
0: Yeah, I definitely like both both lines because you go back to what Sean McDermott preaches and they really believe in building and bolstering those lines. They did it on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, really this this offseason they, they solidified things by bringing back Quentin Spain, but the only notable move uh, they've made is signing Darrell Williams. And while I did mention him going into free agency as somebody I thought that they would target, I still think that there's too many questions about what he can be to rely on him to really improve your line. Now, where do all you guys stand? We'll start with Sal and we'll go around on what this offensive line could be in 2020 because they were good last year. I thought that they they went from bad to average. And, you know, on days they were better than average, but for the most part they were fine. They were good. How good with the collection currently and potential to add can this offensive line be? Because there's continuity and, you know, probably another player in the draft.
2: Look, I, I think the million-dollar question, the biggest mystery, maybe this entire offseason heading into camp, is where does Cody Ford wind up? You know, what? Does he stay at right tackle? Do they kick him inside? Do they play him both? I suspect they're going to use him both, start him at right tackle, use him both, but John Feliciano was really good last year at right guard. You just paid Quentin Spain, so he's not going to play left guard. So, I think that's a really interesting question. But let's just assume right now he stays at right tackle and everybody kind of stays. They'll have the same starting five back if that's the case, including Ty Inseki, if you want to go that way. And by the way, Inseki was actually better than Ford. The Bills actually had more production when Inseki was on the field than when Ford was. So, he's going to be a guy in the mix. And now you have Daryl Williams. You put him in there. Spencer Long was a very, very uh, valuable interior swing man. Maybe the most important person of that entire group is their coach, Bobby Johnson. He got more out of that group than anybody's been able to lately. And now they're going into their second year together. You know, this is Josh Allen's third year. This is Brian Dable's third year, but it's only the second year of this offensive line. You think about the jump that Allen made, I think we'd all agree that he made a pretty nice jump for himself year one to year two. I expect this offensive line to make a similar type of jump or at least get better than they were. I think the continuity part of it is incredibly valuable. You don't see a lot of teams bringing back their entire starting five offensive line from the year before, especially a playoff team.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. I want to say it may, may have been football outsiders that had something about the continuity on the offensive line and the importance of it and, and how that brings success to an offense. So you have your, your starting five back this year. You bring in a Darrell Williams who has that flexibility to play four out of the five spots on the offensive line if something were to happen, or maybe if he uh, outplays someone in, in camp and shows that he he uh, belongs on that uh, starting five. You mentioned Ty Secchi So they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of depth there, so if someone were to go down, they have that uh, roster flexibility where Feliciano can kick over to center if something were to happen to Morris, which we saw last year. You have Spencer Long as that swing guy, but now you have Williams that can play both of the guard spots. So uh, the, the versatility that they have, first and foremost, and then just bringing back that starting five is going to be huge for Josh Allen. I think it's going to be big for Devin Singletary in the run game as well.
1: I just I think in training camp, they're going to do the mix and match stuff we saw a year ago. But, but I think it is actually important and critical for the offensive line to not do this rotation business that they did between Ty and Secchi and Cody Ford a year ago. Also because you drafted Cody Ford in the second round. It's not a major investment. So if you don't think that he can be your right tackle you got to kick him inside, see what he can do, if he can provide stability and value at guard long-term. And if not, you got to go elsewhere. So I don't think they really have time to mess around with this rotation every two series that we saw out of Inseki and Cody Ford. I think it's time to mix and match a little bit, see what the best combination is. But once camp breaks and and we start driving towards the regular season and especially in-game action, I think you need to go with your core five and just let it run and make moves accordingly, but not do it in game rotationally like they did a year ago. It's a shame that they've got Inseki when they have
0: him because I really think going back and watching all the games from last year, there were a lot of times when he was the best offensive lineman on the field of the five. And if they can get him healthy, and but you just can't rely on that. At 35 years old, I mean, just going back to last season, the preseason it started, where it seemed like after games where he was playing a couple series, it, it was laboring. And, and, you know, he's a tall guy, uh, you know, th- moving around on those knees. It, it's, it's tough. So what I thought as a possibility here is, okay, you go out and get Darrell Williams, who was in a platoon at left tackle last year with Greg Little in Carolina. You move him back to his natural position where he set himself – He's more comfortable on the right side. He's a right side offensive lineman. He's not really good at guard. His best his best play is at right tackle. He's a former second round or, or second team All Pro. You can maybe split reps or sp- split snaps between Daryl Williams and and Seki at right tackle. Move Cody Ford inside. And I know I see it in the comments. Breaks your heart to have to put, send John Fleecy out on the bench. But let's be honest, guys. It's the NFL. He may not be there for very long. And having that elite level depth. Is so important. I mean, Spencer Long, John Feliciano, Ryan Bates—that's three really versatile, good depth pieces that I think works. And you know, they still could even add a li- Adrian Waddle to the mix as another swing tackle potential, uh, depending on what they want to do. But there's a lot of options. I think that this offensive line, w- with the continuity and with the you know addition and potential, you know, even more additions in free agency um, before the draft and the draft, this could be a really nice unit in 2020.
2: And let's not forget the new CBA allows you to keep eight offensive linemen active on game day. That's a change that they've made. You can have 48 instead of 46 active on game day. As long as you have eight offensive linemen, out of that 48. So that really gives you another spot to even play with, to carry a guy in your roster. So to your point about the depth and having guys, that may be why they're signing an extra guy here or there, you know, and saying, Hey, you know, we're going to have an extra spot available and we'd like to keep all eight. uh, They're going to keep eight guys on game day active because what team wouldn't do that given that option now?
0: Yeah. Somebody mentioned Ryan Bates. What a cool story he was last year. I mean, what a versatile guy, uh, hit the ground running from from the time they traded for him uh, from Philadelphia and thrown in there made a couple of really nice moves. Uh, this was fun, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, we've, we've been a little bit under an hour here. We're gonna get out of here before we go. I want to give each of you a, a moment to uh, let us know what you're what you got coming or what you're working on. Where
1: where people can find find you. We'll start with John up top. All right, I'm working from my home studio exclusively on our prospect profile series. Started it last Monday. We're going every day leading up to the day before the first round and kind of tinkered a little bit where, yeah, there are going to be some guys that maybe are fringe late first, early second rounders, but I'm really trying to cater it to profiling players that really are realistic possibilities for the Bills, not only in the second round, but potentially falling into the third round as well. Uh, you could find that on Spectrum News on air. And I also do a little video teaser with uh, the link to the article every single day on Twitter at John Scott TV. Sal. So?
2: Well, first of all, obviously you can hear me at WGR Sports Radio 550 on in the mornings with Howard and Jeremy. Uh, I'm not scheduled to be on tomorrow morning, but anytime something happens, you never know when that's going to be. Uh, next time is, I think is Friday. I'm usually on in the afternoon. Most days with show up with the Bulldog at some point, 3.30, 4 o'clock, something like that. Um, but you can also read my stuff at Sal Sports on Twitter, WGR550.com online. And the biggest thing is i am really been trying to pump out a lot of podcasts lately and give you guys good guests, guests that are really kind of intriguing, not just um, on the football side. I had former Sabres captain Mike Pekka the other day. We went through every one of the playoff series that the Sabres had leading up to the Stanley cup in 99, all 97, 98. It was really cool. He gave insight on exactly what the, they were trying to do in each series. That was cool. And then I had um, Mike North on, as we referenced early in the show today, the schedule maker for the NFL. I have no idea how this works guys. Maybe you could tell me, how do you get on the um, I don't know how their algorithms work for like the top podcast, but like, that's my goal one day. It doesn't, it's not going to happen soon, but just have one episode that ever appears <laughs> in the iTunes you know, most listen to episode for you. Gotta, you
0: gotta have the call watched. out. Ra- rate and rate and subscribe.
1: Rate uh, and leave, subscribe. Leave, leave, there you
0: leave go. A, leave your feedback. Leave your leave, leave a review. Uh, all it's those sports kind of things. And
2: stuff podcast, iTunes, uh, wherever Stitcher, wherever you get your uh, podcast, Go and subscribe, please. Ryan? Yeah,
3: I, I'm Ryan Talbot. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. You can find my work and Matt's work at NewYorkUpstate.com and Syracuse.com. I'm working on a piece right now that kind of shows how Brendan Bean has Josh Allen set up for the most success among that uh, 2018 quarterback class in terms of the, the upgrades to the offensive line, running back wide receiver room where, you know, you've seen the Browns build around Baker Mayfield, but that line was still a question mark a little bit last year. You've seen the Jets up maybe upgrade their offensive line this year. Uh, but they really don't have those weapons for, for Sam Darn. They're kind of wasting that rookie contract. So I'm going to kind of look at that from the perspective of what Brendan Bean has done and how he has really built up this roster to help Josh Allen.
0: Great stuff, guys. Uh, I'm at Matt Perino on Twitter. Find, me, find all my stuff there. We really appreciate you guys joining us today. Um, we got a great build media community. I love, I love getting the chance to meet up with all you guys talking. This is a really cool feature. A little roundtable here. This was fun.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I yeah, uh, hope everybody stays safe out there and, you know, does what we have to do to kick this thing's ass and, you know, get back to life to the way we love it.
0: Indeed. All right. For John Scott, Sal Capaccio, Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, keep a locked on to nyupsyracuse.com for all your Bills coverage. Take care, guys.